Hi, I'm Dan, and I am here with my podcast co-host, Jennifer. And I'm Jennifer, and we're from Bandcamp, where we read banned books to try to find out why they were banned in the first place. And we're joined by... I'm Nicole, and this is my podcast co-host, Eden. And we're from the podcast Burn This Book, which is a banned books book club where we read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. So I'm really pumped up to work with you guys to do this crossover episode. I don't know what it is about podcasts. There seems to be like so much weird posturing and competition where it's like, I don't want to help this podcast. I don't want to help those guys. They're a competition. And in my mind, like we both do podcasts about banned books and there's not a lot of them out there. So I figured we should all band together, right? And get the yeah. word out. Oh. Good, good. A hundred percent. That was what we, that's why we did this podcast because we noticed there was none. Yeah. <laughs> and when we, you guys reached out, we were like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. So I like a dream would be if there were tons and tons of people reading banned books publicly and trying to educate people. Like that's the goal is to get as, like, let's try to get like 30 podcasts out. Uh -huh. right. 30 different teams doing this. Like it's such an important thing. As frequent as D and D podcasts, that's that's our goal <laughs> yeah. to yeah. compete with D and D yeah. podcasts. Why are there so many Dungeons and Dragons podcasts? What is going on with it? There are a ton. <laughs> well, those are important too, but but this seems right. especially relevant in this period of American history. So this is a really special little crossover episode because we're going to focus on a children's book called Yoko. And even if you don't have kids, one thing that I think would be really cool to pull out of this conversation is we're going to read the book out loud, the entire book on this podcast. We have permission from the author, Rosemary Wells. She gave us a statement, which we'll talk about in a couple seconds. But on our podcast, Bandcamp, we read a book we just finished, To Kill a Mockingbird. Now we are in the middle of The Outsiders and we read one chapter Per episode out loud and then we try to figure out well what in this chapter could possibly be band worthy so while we're reading this children's book yoko which is about a kitten who brings sushi to lunch so obviously it has to be banned because that's crazy <laughs> talk um we want you to like listen to this short book and try to figure out why in the hell anyone would want this band because I've right. read it three times. I have zero clue. There's this weird push, especially coming out of Florida, saying there aren't any banned books. We don't know what you're talking about. And what they've been doing is pulling library books out of school saying, oh, this book is under review. It's not banned. It's going to go through several committees deep. You know, so that's like their way of getting around saying it's not banned. But this book, yes, it was pulled from at school bookshelves in Florida. And I'm not sure about Texas, but probably. So <laughs> that's why this book is banned. And, and uh, for, for anyone who hasn't read this book, it's a little bit like Bandcamp because we always read books we've never read before. And it's always an epiphany because whether you believe it or not, we've never read To Kill Mockingbird until recently and Fahrenheit 451 is new. So if this book is new to you, be prepared to be shocked why this book would ever be pulled from the hands of children. That's assuming we can figure out why it was banned. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I mean, look, I get it. Maybe you don't like sushi, but come that's on, not people. 
I'm allergic to cats, so. Yeah, (laughs) that's probably why. (laughs) I think we're getting into animal farm territory here. (laughs) Don't want to normalize cat friendliness. (laughs) We have a statement from Rosemary Wells. Yeah, I'll go ahead and read it. All right, here's a statement from Rosemary Wells. Yoko is a book about introducing children to a culture other than their familiar one, about eating sushi instead of a sandwich, and how easy it is to hurt the feelings of another child by making fun of their food and culture. Yoko, for heaven's sake, is a little Japanese pussycat. It's a gentle book about inclusion. If someone thinks this is not the true American way, not the Christian way, then they have some learning to do. It's every parent's right to supervise the books their child reads, but it's not their right to ban what my child reads. These book-banning people should be afraid of the true danger to children, and that's porn and violence on the internet. What about sushi? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great statement. What do you guys think about that? I mean, like, because at the essence of it, this book is about inclusion. I mean, a big chunk of it is about food. And a big chunk is actually, and this is what gets me every time in it, it's it's not just the anti-wokeness, it's the anti-kindness. Like, mm-hmm. it's like they don't, remember the whole thing, it started a while ago with like, why why is there even a thing with uh, participation trophies or whatever? It's like, anytime like kindness is taught as a value, I have heard that be attacked from certain voices in mm-hmm. uh, the political st- spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I, I will never understand why it's a bad thing to teach children kindness, mm-hmm. but yeah. it just is shocking to me. But I agree with you completely. I think especially as as a white person going to public school when I was younger, there would be kids bringing different food in. And I'm sure there are many times when I would like wrinkle my nose at the different smells. And we know that there's a huge history of especially using food as a racism tactic against Asian people, like talking about like eating dogs and stuff like that. And so it's really fascinating. I loved how she used the word gentle. It is such a gentle book talking about a lot of really serious things that have impacted different protected groups. And so like, that's what got me is as a kid, if I'd read it, I feel like it would have given me the perfect lesson to be like, oh, I shouldn't scrunch my nose (laughs) at this situation. Like maybe that would hurt that person's feelings. Like I probably wouldn't have been aware that I was hurting someone's feelings as a first grader or second grader Mm -hmm. and learning that like, oh no, this is actually a really big deal. What kids bring to school in their lunchbox. And especially when it comes from their own culture and background, like it's a big deal. Well, being someone from a different culture and (laughs) (laughs) like having immigrant parents who did occasionally send me to school with some strange things. It is a bit ostracizing. And like, there's so many stories out there of children of immigrants who will go home and be like, mom, can you pack me just a regular sandwich? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's what I did too, because I, even though nothing like sticks out in my mind, there was a part where like my, my lunch changed and it was just like sandwiches at that point, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We have permission from Rosemary Wells to actually read the book uh-huh. in its entirety on Bandcamp, I am intellectually lazy. I always want to know these things, but I just I can't be bothered to read. So Jennifer reads because she's a mom and she reads to her kids yeah. every night. Do you guys mind if she does the reading or do you guys want to read? No, we'd love if she did the reading. Mm-hmm. And feel free to like jump in and, and make a point or two. Constant interruption is welcomed. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. 
What would you like for lunch today, my little cherry blossom? Asked Yoko's mother. All my favorite things, please, answered Yoko. So her favorite things, what are those? <laughs> so Yoko's mother spread steamed rice on a bamboo mat. She rolled up a secret treasure inside each piece. Then she packed it all in a willow-covered cooler. Have a wonderful day at school, my little cherry blossom, said Yoko's mother. I will, answered Yoko. I'm enjoying. <laughs> so, I mean, it shows that, you know, she she loves her mommy and, and she loves her food and she's got her favorite food going. I love kids' books because we are now on page 89. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Most of it's pic beautiful pictures. Yoko said hello to all her friends. Everyone in Mrs. Jenkins' class sang the good morning song. At noon, Mrs. Jenkins rang the lunch bell. Lunch boxes out and open, please, boys and girls, said Mrs. Jenkins. Timothy unwrapped a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Valerie had cream cheese and jelly. Fritz had a meatball grinder. Tulip had Swiss cheese on rye. So all sandwiches. <laughs> Hazel had egg salad on pumpernickel. Doris had squeezed cheese on white. And the Franks had Franks and beans. All right, let's take a quick poll right now. Where would each of you guys, uh, what would be your go-to meal if you had to eat with any of these uh, gentlemen or ladies? <laughs> oh, <to be> <laughs> oh, like what would you choose from what this What table menu? would you sit at? Gosh, the meatball grinder sounds amazing. I don't know what that is, but it sounds great. Yeah. Meatballs on I'm a fan of, of rye. Bread yeah. And salad. Oh, no, the um, Swiss cheese. Ryan, oh, Swiss. Right. Swiss mm -hmm. cheese. That's the one I would have gone with too, Eden. I'd go with that uh, guy with the peanut butter and honey. I am surprised the animals didn't scrunch their nose at the egg salad one. Because that oh, one. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are a lot of smells. Yoko opened the willow-covered cooler. Inside was her favorite sushi. Tucked in the rice rolls were the crispiest cucumber, the pinkest shrimp, the greenest seaweed, and the tastiest tuna. I mean, like, that looks like the jackpot <laughs> right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, like, even if you don't like sushi, you have to admit that sushi is the best-looking food on the planet. <laughs> it looks right? beautiful. It's, looks like yeah. a gift. What's in your lunch? asked one of the Franks. It gets green. It's seaweed. Oh, no, said the other Frank. Don't tell me that's raw fish. Watch out, it's moving, said Doris. Yucko Rama, said Tulip and Fritz. Valerie blew the playtime whistle. Everybody out, said Valerie. Yes, Valerie's in charge of the playtime whistle. Teacher's pet. <laughs> <laughs> Yoko did not want to play ball or swing on the swings. What's wrong, Yoko? asked Mrs. Jenkins. Everybody laughed at my lunch, answered Yoko. They'll forget about it by snack time, said Mrs. Jenkins. Oh, and she's got little tears. So sad. Aww. But they didn't. During the snack time song, Yoko opened a thermos cup of red bean ice cream. And how do you get ice cream? <laughs> that would be a really good yeah. snack. Red bean ice cream is for weirdos, snorted the Franks. Mrs. Jenkins switched to the friendly song. I think the Franks are the ones stirring it all up. Yeah. 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 Mrs. Jenkins knew the friendly song was not enough. Late into the evening, she fretted about Yoko. Finally, the answer came to her. 
Dear parents, Monday will be International Food Day at Hilltop School. Everyone is asked to bring in a dish from a foreign country. Everyone must try a bite of everything. Happy cooking, Mrs. Jenkins. What I love about that is that, like, this is one of the things that oh, I just love reading children's books because they give me really good examples of how adults should act often. Yes. Um, and this is one of those things where it's like, oh, that was a really thoughtful thing. She came up with a plan and her first plan didn't work out, which was the friendship song or whatever. And then the yeah. second plan, you know, but it's like a really good example of like, oh, this is modeling behavior that I can enact in my, Absolutely. In my future, which is helpful. So, so that not, this book isn't just to help kids be yeah. better people. It's for adults to learn yeah. from too. Absolutely. Yeah, most good children's books are, yeah. Do totally. you think is sending the letter home, would that piss off a certain chunk of people? Probably. Like, I don't want to get my kids to have tacos or whatever. <laughs> no. Right? I I think the way it was presented, just having like a International yeah, Food Day. International Food Day is always fun. I feel like they presented it like the thing that keeps coming back to me from the comment by rosemary wells was just yeah it's such a gentle approach everything in this book is so gentle like she wasn't like hey one of our students is getting bullied yeah because your kids <laughs> right. are the worst and because of their ethnicity no it was just like hey we're gonna do something new we're gonna we're gonna do an international food day and like that to me seems like the most casual diplomatic way to yeah to just and introduce one, it yeah yeah maybe there's one parent that's the worst but like they that kid can opt out that's the rule yeah, for totally. all of this. The kid can always opt out. <laughs> Your the parent doesn't need to make sure that all the kids opt out. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and I like how it's not specific to their background. It's like, yeah, everyone should bring something from a foreign country. It doesn't have to be like from your family yeah. background or whatever. That's mm -hmm. that's good. Yeah. We will make a deluxe sushi for the whole class," said Yoko's mother. Don't worry, my little cherry blossom. Everyone will try our sushi and everyone will love it. Yoko looks a little worried on that page. Mm -hmm. She's like, you don't understand the Franks, mom. They're not going to, they're not going to play. <laughs> they right. Don't play games. <laughs> they're monsters. They also eat <laughs> Franks. <laughs> I think I saw them eat a cat at yeah. recess. <laughs> On Monday morning, Valerie and her mother carried in a plate of enchiladas. Timothy and his mother made Caribbean coconut crisps. Mm. Hazel brought Nigerian nut soup. Harry brought Brazil nuts. Doris brought Irish stew. Tulip brought potato knishes. Monica brought a pitcher of mango smoothies. Fritz brought spaghetti. Big Frank cooked up a pot of Boston Franks and beans. Now everyone's going to have to eat the franks and beans. Yeah. At noon, Mrs. Jenkins rang the lunch bell and everyone sang the clean hand song. What does International Food Day mean to us, boys and girls? Asked Mrs. Jenkins. Try everything, said everybody. When Valerie blew the playtime whistle, there was not a nibble of nuts or a sip of smoothie left. But no one had touched even one piece of Yoko's sushi. You know, what I like about that is Rosemary Wells didn't just like write a happy ending. Like it's very realistic. Mm -hmm. Like I could see that happening. Yoko sat under the learning tree. Suddenly she heard the clickety click of chopsticks. 
It was Timothy. He was still hungry. <laughs> Thank goodness for a still hungry Timothy. He's growing. <laughs> what is he, a raccoon? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a raccoon. He's a growing <laughs> raccoon. He needs to eat. He'll even eat raw fish. Let me show you how, said Yoko. Timothy polished off the rest of the crab cones his own way. Can we have sushi again tomorrow, he said. I'll ask my mother, answered Yoko. During the school bus song, Timothy found a coconut... A lot of songs in this book. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> How do they get any learning in, though? That is what I would be mad at as a concerned parent. We have the good morning song, the snack song, the good friend song, wash the hands song, yeah. bus song, get ready for bus song. Wow. Dan, Dan you yeah. don't know about little kids. You have to make songs for everything. I have a toothbrushing song. I have a song for everything, too. <laughs> During the school bus song, Timothy found a coconut crisp in his pocket. He gave it to Yoko. It's even better than red bean ice cream, said Yoko. On the bus, Timothy and Yoko made plans to push their desks together and open a restaurant the very next day. And they did. They ordered tomato sandwiches and dragon rolls. For dessert, they had brownies with green tea ice cream. And they couldn't have asked for anything more. And that's the end of Yoko. So it even ends with a capitalist, we're going to start a restaurant and make some money. <laughs> and they're still mad about it. Good job, Jennifer. Good job reading. All right. Now this is the part of the show where we have to ask, why was this book banned? Why do people have a problem about it? I feel like it's people would, this is my guess, is that it's people thinking that they are placing preference and like trying to accommodate Yoko when the majority of the students don't need that accommodation kind of thing. Like, I feel like that's usually the argument is like, why are we doing like bending over backwards for this one person when it's all of us that need these like different, have different needs and all this other stuff. Um, right. That's the only thing I can think of. But I know that the reason why it's banned is probably really ridiculous. We all do know that the whole critical race theory, like mm -hmm. the, how they're saying you, you can't teach it in elementary schools, even though it's not being taught in elementary schools. But the idea behind it is that when you teach these lessons about inclusion and diversity, it makes the white kids feel bad mm -hmm. we all know that that's been a thing that you mm -hmm. know all, all these and, and there are bills i know for a fact in florida they did pass an anti-woke bill mm -hmm. and uh, anti-woke that's what mm -hmm. it's called ridiculous yeah. and uh luckily a judge struck it down but like it it advanced in their little state uh congress and it was the law there Mm -hmm. And uh, a, I know that a judge blocked it because it's like, well, you can't do that because this is America and there's free speech. So, yeah. <laughs> But I know that in other states, they've also passed similar and they're all like trying to put it under this banner of critical race theory, mm -hmm. which is just ridiculous. But it's basically saying you can't speak about racism or these difficult issues Mm -hmm. with children and that's you know and yoko the kids were not being kind to yoko and and the ramifications of that right mm -hmm. so if you if you read this to kids it'll make them feel bad and that we we have to like have legislation that makes it so white kids don't you know their little fragile egos aren't destroyed 
And that is just so weird to me. Like, it's just, it goes back to like, why can't you teach kids to be kind? And it is basically Mm -hmm. to uphold white supremacy. Mm -hmm. That is like the whole end goal Mm -hmm. of all of these literal bills. I tried to look up and find how many states have enacted critical race theory bans. And I was surprised that these states have signed into law critical race theory bans or similar such bans. And we've got Idaho, Montana, North Mm -hmm. Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Utah, Texas, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, and New Hampshire. They they all have laws where they have banned critical race theory, which is silly. Jennifer, it's 36 states have done it so far. That's a majority. <laughs> That's a majority of the country. Yeah. It's insane to me. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of is they say it'll make white kids feel bad. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, so what? You know? <laughs> okay. Maybe think about why that's making you feel there that are also how about if you just bring your your tuna fish sandwich and let (laughs) yoko bring her sushi it's basically the same yeah just get over it i oh man i don't get this and when you keep calling like critical race theory i kept in my head i kept Every time you said critical it's like yeah critical thinking it's like no they stopped (laughs) critical thinking in 36 states Kind of. Yeah. Well, not kind of. Definitely. Like yeah. um, Sharon, you know, that are you guys familiar with like Sharon Says So, mm-hmm. the yeah. America's government teacher? <laughs> well, oh, um, I is she like on Instagram or something? Yeah, she's fall. she's okay, incredible. I'm gonna look her up. She has a whole thing about book banning. One of the her big like statements she keeps saying over and over again is you cannot ban books and also um, engage in critical thinking. Like if you're for critical thinking, you cannot ban books. It is they do not work in the same. They can't sit in the same box. Those two ideas. It's just such a sad thing because also my life as a kid, I was so excited when I met people of different cultures and I learned so much. Like it was so fun for me. And all these parents are doing is just teaching their kids to be afraid of people that don't look like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Ugh. And that actually came up in To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, the, the town is so insular mm-hmm. and the, the teaching and then like, like you get down to the nitty gritty, even the family unit, like the Yules in that book where they're just, yeah. they don't even want their kids to go to school. You know, because new ideas might be introduced to them. It's it's crazy. So I'm going to follow Sharon says so. She looks pretty awesome. She has high morals and she's like, no, this is the first step of fascism. Like we see this in history. Yes. There's never been a situation where book banning has been a helpful step towards uh, bettering democracy. It has never, ever happened. It has always contributed to an authoritarian government. So give us one example where it hasn't. It seems to me like the vast majority of the people who are against books like Yoko have never read the book. Or people who are against woke don't really, I clearly don't know what woke means because woke is just good. It's like It's like just being open to understanding that there are some people who are struggling and it sucks that they struggle. So let's, there's these marginalized Mm -hmm. groups of people and let's try to help them not, or at least have a mindset where we're not Mm -hmm. against them succeeding. Well, but Mm -hmm. see, that's the thing though, Dan, it gets back to upholding white supremacy. That's the whole point. That is the whole point. I think it's interesting what we're talking about, because I think that's the whole crux of why people are so uncomfortable with CRT or the the idea of CRT, because once again, critical race theory isn't taught until college is a social science theory of how to yeah. framework of how to look at the world. But I think they're so uncomfortable with it because it does 
say that white people have done bad things and that a lot of the systems we still engage in are rooted in white supremacy. And a lot of white people, we do not want to look at that and we don't want to be honest about how we are supporting this. And I think that um, it requires engagement and it requires accountability for our ancestors and for all these things. And I think that a lot of white people are like, well, I didn't do it. So I don't want to, this right. to be taught this. I'm not, I shouldn't be held accountable for it. This isn't my system. And even like the word woke comes from um, black American culture. And it's an old term to describe like you've awakened to like the reality yeah. of the world. Like, and so even when we're saying it's anti-woke, you're then saying, well, you as in. Yeah. Ron, Ronald, you're then saying you, we are anti-black because that is a, a, a black term. So it's like there's so many levels to it. But I think that's the problem is like no one's willing to hold, hold themselves accountable. And it's hard as a white person to do that because then you get paralysis and you start panicking and you have the white guilt and then you don't know what to do with that. But also bottom line is like we have to do something. I totally agree with that, except I really think that in their hearts, they are afraid of giving up their power. A trillion percent. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not just the, the yeah, white I think it's so like too. they don't want to let go of the power. Totally. So it is about power in the end. They don't yeah. want to admit it, though, because they know it's a bad thing, but they don't want to give it up. White people have been in power for so long. Yeah. And now we're starting to be the minority. <laughs> and it's like, good. Let's get some well, restaurants in town here in Palm Desert. Let's go. Like, I don't want to keep living in this weird suburbia where it's all white, white, white. You're hitting on another thing, which is the culture. And like a lot of the white people that I know personally, and especially of older generations, like they long for this past, like the 1950s or something, yeah. where, you know, they're they're so worried about the culture changing. Remember when Trump was campaigning and he's like, if you get Clinton in, there'll be a taco truck on every corner. Do you remember that? Yes. I mean, so racist. Yeah. And I, it's like, so that would be great if there is a taco truck on every corner. But how beautiful would life be if there was a taco truck on every corner, Jennifer? <laughs> but the implication behind what he was saying that there'll be more Hispanics will have their presence in all communities, not just their little closed off enclave that they've been shoved into, but they will be on your corner, you know? And a lot of people that scared a lot of people. Like, uh, so it's also the loss of being the majority culture. So white power isn't just monetary, which it is, but it's not just mm -hmm. that. It's, it's the culture. Like, they're so afraid of the culture changing. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of gets back to culture wars as well. And, you know, here's little Yoko bringing her sushi in. The, the sandwiches have been challenged, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if even, you know what I mean. so yeah. yeah. But even then, all the sandwiches are different from different white That's cultures, true. which is interesting when we talk about white culture, because then we're not us, but society at large. There's an aspect of erasure because like my ancestry, my grandma's Italian and she had to pretend to be white a lot and she was discriminated against. And that was she was considered a person of color until the 1960s <laughs> on like legal right. documents because race is not real, but racism is. And those in power get to decide who is on the bottom and who's on the top. And, you know, we see that in all over the place. But like. Even when we're looking at white culture and saying that it's all just British, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant culture, which is what we want it to be, that's another thing that's so damaging for each of us who comes to America with our different histories and 
ethnic groups and all those things. And like, it's just, it's so fascinating how they just want it to be one part and how it harms everybody. Racism harms everyone. And that's what's so fascinating. We were talking about the majority trying to preserve its culture. Uh, Did you guys see that news article where the majority of all the complaints about books come from 11 people across the United States? (laughs) I I didn't see that, but I believe it. (laughs) Who are these Uh, idiots? I want names. Well, that's ridiculous that 11 people have that much power. Mm -hmm. God. I I wonder who these people are because um, we had a school board election last fall, and it seemed like there was a very vocal group of people and in their in their uh little statements when they were running they also even up here in liberal uh seattle suburbs it was i saw in the little pamphlets we need to cut out critical race theory in our schools like in our little school district which mm-hmm. is i'm like who are these people pushing this there is yeah. a small group of people and i i don't know who they are because i, I don't think, think it's the majority you know, getting back to your point of it being 11 people, it's, it's, who are these people? They did a poll last year saying 80% of Americans are against book banning. Right. Yeah. That was CBS did that poll. Definitely a minority that's for it, but those 80% are not showing up at these school board meetings and they're not showing up to run for office and all those things. It's these people who are fired up. And so I think the best way we can fight this because we are the majority, but we're quiet, (laughs) Uh is A, get more of these podcasts out there, get more people reading banned books, start book clubs um, where you're reading banned books, getting them into your homes. If they're going to kick them out of our schools and out of our um, libraries, bring them into your home, volunteer at your library because libraries are being dissolved. Um, Really get loud in your community about this issue because we do know this is the first step for more division and authoritarian views so like because you're right like that school board it's crazy that they had that in that pamphlet especially if most Mm -hmm. of the people the parents probably were like ah it's not really our thing (laughs) we don't really care about CRT they didn't win spoiler oh good good (laughs) none of them got that so but they tried they tried and I love your call to action that's that's great yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so easy to do. That's what gets me is like, it's simple. It's just reading. Like the fact that reading can be a force for liberty is so wild to me. It can be a revolutionary act right now is so crazy. It requires very little. All you have to do is read, read Toni Morrison and you've just done some activism in your community. <laughs> Bringing it back to Rosemary's statement, she says, these book banning people should be afraid of the true danger to children. And that's porn and violence on the internet. Like the danger to children these days are not books. A child's not going to pick up a book and like turn gay all of a sudden, <laughs> you know. What uh, if the book is called How to Be Gay in a Weekend? <laughs> in a weekend? Yeah. 24 hours. <laughs> Freaky Friday experience. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's even like comedic to, to even say because like being gay isn't a dangerous thing. Yeah, you know, well, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but like the things that are harmful to kids in schools today are probably like the phones that parents are giving them at a younger age mm-hmm. and like unlimited access to the internet and all of that. Everything I read about like media with kids is you watch it together and you talk about it together. You don't just let them run free, mm-hmm. come up with harmful thoughts and act on those harmful thoughts. And that goes for books as well. Like you don't, you want them to read a variety of things, and then you sit down and talk about it. 
And I think a lot of kids, like for me, I learned I had depression after reading Catcher in the Rye when I was in high school. I was like, oh, that's what this feeling is. Not everyone feels this way. I really identify with this person. And I was able to like start getting coping mechanisms and get help. And I know that certain books have allowed people to understand that they've been assaulted, that they didn't know because they didn't know how to talk about it with people. Like they learned that that was wrong by reading a book. I think that it can be safe. And this book, Yoko, to me, it's like, oh, yeah, this was a good like check myself kind of thing. In what spaces have I been like, ew, gross. And how did I, how was that harmful to my friends or my people? Like, it's just like a good, it's back to what you said, Jennifer. We want to be kind. Books can teach us how to be kind. (laughs) It's so true. And it's just so ridiculous. And one of the biggest things you always hear, like, we said about America is it is this melting pot of a bunch of different cultures. And it's really weird because one side, one political party is very clear. We love America. (laughs) Do you? Because like America seems to be this big melting pot and you want to turn it into like, um, like a single serving Instapot, not a melting (laughs) pot. It's like an Instapot where the one ingredient is white. You know what I mean? That's not what America is. That's just like a little chunk. And it's fine. (laughs) White people are in there. Don't worry. You guys, we're good. We had a good run and I'm sure we'll still be fine (laughs) talking to you white people out there. (laughs) But it's just, it's just so, uh, it's just so. I'm I'm going to check you on that, Dan, because I mean. They don't make the Instapot anymore in a single serve. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, America wasn't always white though. That's the whole point is like, they don't really in schools even teach from like when I was in school, we didn't learn from the other side that was being crushed. You know what I mean? Like there's all the stuff under the surface that has kept America. I I mean, I know we all have different ideas about what that means, but I think that there must be a general idea that is cohesive and it's basically male and white. Mm Mm-hmm. There's all the stuff underneath that we haven't learned about, especially like Native American culture. It's all under here and it's all still buried. Mm -hmm. That's what people don't want to like grow up through. Yeah, it makes me think of two things. One is um, an Instagram account called Flora Familiar. I'm Mm going to look this all up. You guys are giving me really good information. (laughs) Yes, Jennifer. What's it called, Eden? Flora Familiar. Let me look it up. She really advocates for understanding your own family history. And I remember she said something like several years ago, she said, not knowing your family history is upholding white supremacy. And what she meant by that was people who uphold white supremacy would look at Nicole and be like, oh, she's American. Eden is other. Mm -hmm. And they have in our friendship. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Multiple times. Yeah. But if we look at Nicole's family history, you can tell that like her roots are in Europe, Slovenia, Italia, (laughs) Italia, (laughs) Italy. Yeah, my family is Eastern European, which is very different culture than the waspy situation, you know. Mm -hmm. But you have the look. But But I've got the look. look. I've got the good look. But my siblings don't, which is interesting. They're all very um, brown and different than me. So that's also been confusing. But go on, Eden. Yeah, so it, it goes back to like... Oh, I'm American through and through because my family has lived here forever. But if you look at your family history, like there are probably mm-hmm. only a few families get, that could claim that. And even still, they were colonists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like truly, like the people who were first born and raised in America were probably African slaves, like children of African slaves. Yeah. Um, and so and then obviously Native Americans. So like yeah. if we tie it. If we want to talk about birthright, 
we could talk about this, but (laughs) (laughs) we can get into birthright. We can get into it. And I mean, even if you look at the American, like the map of North America, you could see like the natural, like natural as in like Mm -hmm. nature, natural divide between Mexico and what Mm -hmm. would have been like Mexico if America didn't take over that part of like Southern California, Mm -hmm. Arizona desert area and the rest of the United States. Borders are kind of, what is that word I'm trying to... Arbitrary? Uh, Arbitrary, thank you. I mean, we also see that with New Mexico. That's why New Mexico is a really cool state. Sorry, we did an episode about the book Bless Me Ultima. We are talking a lot. We're just so jazzed up about this. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But in Bless Me Ultima, we learned that New Mexico, because the book takes place there, and it's about indigenous people who are Mexican. So... Because that line is also very blurred. And so that's why New Mexico's official languages are English and Spanish. Because they acknowledge that the people who have been in Mexico, New Mexico, they might be Mexican, but their family has been there for the last 2,000 years. Whereas in America, we're like, oh, if you're a Mexican, you, you're below the border. Where um, it's not that way. In Arizona, that's why Arizona is like very confusing and very tricky. Because a lot of the families that they're trying to kick out have actually been in, in Arizona forever. But to the, your point, Jennifer, about Native Americans... Right now, and I'm going to do this call out because it's really important. Right now, the Apache nations in Arizona are fighting for um, their sovereignty in saving their most sacred land, which is called Oak Flat. It's a mountain and it's beautiful. And right now, uh, copper mining companies, I think it's like Empower Mining, they're trying to mine it for the copper inside of it. And if that gets mined, then all of the um, Apache nations lose that land and a lot of their identity because a lot of identity is place-based for indigenous nations in our country. So it's now in the Ninth Circuit, and hopefully it'll go to the Supreme Court. But if the copper mine wins, that's a huge cultural genocide that will have occurred because it's still happening. Like, we are not done. We're We're still doing this. And so that's a call out. So everyone get involved with that as well if you can. For awesome. the San Carlos Apache people and White Mountain Apache. Wow, it's real depressing. Got to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. But we know about it. And that's what's good. It's not hidden. Yeah. No, I'm just saying I loved your points, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing all that you did. Like that, you brought up so many good points that like really are just so going to be thinking about them for a long time. This has been such a fun conversation. And Me I hope too. we can mm-hmm. do it again. So uh, Bandcamp listeners, we are going to let Nicole and Eden pitch you here's why you should listen to their podcast although i don't think there really doesn't have to be pitching because <laughs> you can tell you, you can tell this is if, if you like They're us you're to gonna like to. them mm-hmm. <laughs> but why Let's should people listen to you guys it was so fun thank you yeah we look forward to future collaboration mm-hmm. but um our mission is to make band or challenge books more accessible for all readers and we hope that you join us in that journey if you are thinking about trying to read a book with your kid or something listen to the episode where we talk about that book Mm -hmm. and decide if that's a good idea for your family. We are here just to help you have a little more courage in the literary world. Yep. Right on, right on. I love it. Burn This Book (laughs) listeners, let's give our support to the Bandcamp community as well. Give it up for Dan and Jennifer. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Please like pitch yourselves to our audience. So we are also a band book podcast, but our format is a bit different. We read a book that neither of us have read before, and we read it out loud one chapter at a time, commenting along the way. Yeah. Another thing, Dan, that we should tell their audience is we are a band book podcast, and we read band books, 
And the reason we do so is to try to find out why in the heck they were banned in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And we can never seem to find out why. This doesn't seem like, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe hard. we're too lenient, but honestly, like I don't think people should be afraid of ideas and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's where you go wrong, Dan. That's where you guys are going wrong. <laughs> oh, some ideas are you should some be scared. Some ideas are bad. <laughs> <laughs> ideas are bad. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. This has been a really fun uh, time. Go and, and either buy Yoko or go to your library and get Yoko. Read it to and your kids. That's it's right. It's great. You can find our podcast, Bandcamp, that's uh, band with two N's, wherever you find podcasts. What about you guys? How can people find you? And you can check us out on Instagram, I yeah, think. Yeah, we're on Instagram. Yeah, we're in this book podcast. Instagram. Right on. And Rosemary thank Wells, you. thank you for giving us permission to read your awesome book. And thank you for the statement. We will talk to you guys soon on another crossover episode between two podcasts that like to talk about band books. Bye, everyone. Yay. Bye. Thank, thank you. Everyone.